Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 265 of the Speaking Club podcast. I want to start today's show with a quote from American journalist Sidney J. Harris. The two words, information and communication, are often used interchangeably, but they signify quite different things. Information is giving out. Communication is getting through. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey there, I hope all is well with you, all is well with me, uh, having a good week so far. Now, a few months ago, I had a message from another speaking coach and she reached out to me to say that she was a huge fan of my podcast and resonated with what I had to say about speaking. And then she asked if I'd give some input into a book that she was writing on becoming a magnetic speaker. So I said yes. And that book is almost out. And the lady who reached out to me, Tina Bakehouse, is here to have a chat with me about our favourite topic. Helping people become powerful and successful speakers. Like me, you'll probably have noticed that a lot of people are adding the label of speaker to their bio. However, as you've likely experienced when you've been in the audience before, calling yourself a speaker and actually being able to deliver your message in a way that educates, inspires and motivates are two very different things. There are lots of people boring the pants off audiences when they don't need to. And this is a belief that Tina and I have in common. As I mentioned, Tina is a communications coach and soon-to-be author of her new book, Discovering Our Magnetic Speaker Within. And I'm chuffed to have her come on the show, share more about it, and for us to discuss some great tips for helping you become that magnetic speaker. Tina spent many years teaching communications in education and then in the corporate world before striking out to set up her own business in 2020. As I said, like me, she's on a mission to protect audiences from boring speakers and speeches. And today she works with heart-centred leaders and organisations to provide speaking and storytelling, consulting and coaching. She's a former Disney cast member too, a TEDx speaker and coach. And as you can probably tell when you start to listen to her, she's passionate about educating others to become more self-aware and enhance their speaker style. There are loads of gold nuggets here. So... Let's head over to the interview right now. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Tina Bakehouse. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, likewise, pleasure to have you on the show. Now, I've got lots of questions for you, but the first one is, how did a farm girl from Iowa end up becoming a Disney cast member in Florida? What was that journey? Well, I always, as a kid growing up in the 80s, I was a huge fan of Jim Henson and the Muppets, as well as Walt Disney. And so I loved all things Mickey Mouse, from animation to characters, even took senior pictures with a Mickey Mouse sweater and stuffed animal. And so my sophomore year of college at the university, I was informed by my professor we had to do an internship. And I thought, go big or go home. And I actually knew one of my high school friends' uncles was an IT person at the Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World in Florida. And I thought, well, that's my connection. That's my in. So I connected with him and he gave me the college program phone number to find out and investigate because I, at the time, and this is the 90s, mind you, so this dates me a little bit. No one at the University of Northern Iowa had ever done a Walt Disney World internship. So it was brand new, et cetera. So I basically found that there was an interview clear in Lincoln, Nebraska. I didn't have a car at the time. It's five hours plus away. 
And for the first time in my life, my mom and my dad say, no, they cannot pick me up and take me to this interview. So I actually hitchhike a ride to Des Moines, Iowa, <laughs> meet my grandparents, my grandma Shirley on her birthday to pick me up there. And they blessed their hearts, drove me all the way to Lincoln, waited in the parking lot while I went through a big group interview, an individual interview, and then had to call a phone number where it was dead quiet. And it took a hundred times, mind you, to get through do another two-hour extensive interview. And then months later, I got the big yes packet and found myself fall semester of the 25th anniversary. Now, if you're doing the math, they're at their 50th anniversary. So it's 25 years ago. And I got to do attractions, which was sort of the envied position where I not only worked in Splash Mountain, which now is changing and evolving into a new attraction, and then was promoted to coordinate the Spectro Magic Night Parade, as well as the three o'clock Disney Remember the Magic Parade. So that was, it was a magical experience how it all happened, but I, it was perseverance. I just, I was persistent. I was desiring this whole Disney experience to help people remember the magic and be part of that. Excellent. Yeah, I, I've seen, uh, I think a video of you with like a, um, a, a sort of, puppet theater thing so it's still clear <laughs> that the the love of puppets is 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 a thing that uh, stays stays with you and um what was the biggest thing you know that you took from disney was there anything that you took from there that's helped you in what you do today oh absolutely i would say as as disney has their own language their own way of being you know when walt created this magic everything had a story the imagineers do not craft an actual ride or attraction without some form of story attached to it. The biggest thing I would say I learned from Disney was that it's all about the guests. It's all about connection. And they had this thing called guest service recovery and the Disney look and all of that. And when a guest was unhappy or they were displeased or just frustrated, it was really on us to tune into their nonverbal cues, meet them where they are, and help them get into a magical experience. So I would say that would be the biggest thing is to be able to connect with others because all communication is a co-creation. Yeah, and I think that narrative element to the attractions that they have at Disney is a big uh, differentiator from when we we go to those sorts of places in the UK they don't have that and I think that it it helps with all sorts of things queue management and the whole experience is better because you've got this narrative around it um Absolutely. so yeah yeah Absolutely. cool okay and then how did you get from there Disney cast member to what you do today well, I've always been passionate about learning and education. It's just, it's just been part of who I am. I'm a creative problem solver. And what I, after I finished that degree in communication studies and psychology, I worked in human resources for a year and learned that it was training and development that was really in the heart of who I am and went back and got a second bachelor's degree in teaching speech, English, and theater. So I taught high school students theater, speech, and English for about six years and realized I wanted to up-level, te teach at the collegiate level, and went back and got my advanced degrees in both communication studies and advanced professional writing. Worked at a university for 10 years, started a communication center to support faculty and students with how they craft messages and communicate more effectively. And from there, it was ironic. In 2017, it really hit me. I was ready to do more and different. And the university wasn't ready for business storytelling or business improv. And that's okay. So I left. And the other ironic thing was, is they wanted all my courses to be online. And how funny is it shift a few years later? We found ourselves in that very predicament, not just at educational spaces, but also as consultants and coaches. So two different organizations created jobs for me, one at Golden Hills, which was an RC&D, it's resource conservation and development, and the next was uh, my local bank. 
And during those times, I, especially it hit in 2020 during the pandemic, I, I'm in act two of my life and figuring out that, okay, I have this next chunk of time and my side gig of communication consulting and coaching was really growing and evolving. And this thing we call Zoom that we're connecting here was opening opportunities that I never saw possible. So I started to ask myself what's possible. And like many people, you have a choice of jumping out of the plane, figuratively speaking, and and just trusting your feet will land or staying in what you know, and maybe not up leveling. And I opted for jumping out of the plane and I haven't looked back. So I started my business as its own in the fall of 2020. And I haven't looked back and I feel so invigorated by being able to create and manifest beautiful connections with people and support them on finding their story and sharing that in various stages and ways. Great. That's brilliant. And the other thing that I, I'm going to talk a bit more about some of those other things in a moment, but one of the things that was interesting to me, and I think maybe I don't know you that well, but I get uh, in terms of your personality that this might have been a challenge, um, <laughs> which is that in 2007, you had an a, a, a issue with your voice. And in order to uh, sort that out, you were faced with a, a difficult choice. Um, can you tell me a bit about that and also how you experienced the choice that you ended up making and what you learned from it. Absolutely. Well, I'm a huge fan of Julie Andrews and Sound of Music and all things that she has produced, Mary Poppins. And she had this similar experience of vocal cord nodules. And I too found myself when I was teaching sophomore speech, I opened my mouth to speak and nothing came out, not even a squeak. And I thought, this is weird. Did I just do something different. And so I tried again and nothing came out. And I was terrified, frankly, and powerless and lonely during that time of just looking around the classroom saying, who's going to help me? I can't even express with words, help. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I wrote on the board, get the principal. And they brought in the principal. And I found myself quickly not teaching for multiple weeks because I simply couldn't talk. Mm-hmm. And I went through se- severe speech therapy and, and it was a lot of stress at the time that they found that that's what caused the, mm-hmm. the vocal cord nodules. And she then referred me to a larnacologist who specializes in specifically opera singers and different other speakers and individuals who've had this same experience. And he did a full on assessment and gave me two choices. And that was one, we could do surgery. And that could change my voice to be deeper, which if you think about it, it's not something we really conceptualize, but when you hear your voice over and over, that would change your identity. Mm. The other thing that could happen is nothing. And it could just be the same and just be a very expensive choice. The second choice was six weeks of silence. And when he said silence, I thought, oh, I could be quiet. No, no laughing no talking. He said, laughing could really destroy your vocal cords. And I'm a loud laugher. I mean, it's guttural and, and it vibrates my vocal cord area. So I thought, oh, this is a hard decision. And we decided, my family and I thought, well, let's try the, the second option of six weeks of silence and see what happens. And it was a very bizarre experience, frankly, because I I am a social person, but I also love time alone. But when you're forced into that and you feel like communication is one-sided, I can't pick up the phone and call people. Mm. That was a weird thing. It's sort of like being told you can't drive your car Mm. independently and go do the things you're used to doing. So at the time I found myself with notepad in hand with a wrist that was super tired. I'm surprised I didn't get carpal tunnel, but everywhere I go, I had that little notepad and spent time connecting with people on their level and really being about them. And that was a shift for me. Not that I'm super self-centered, but I'm such an enthusiastic communicator. That's like, Ooh, let's talk about this idea, this idea, this idea that I found, holy cows, I inadvertently 
would interrupt people without even thinking about it. I would be thinking intrapersonally about the exciting idea I wanted to share when I heard one word or idea they said and probably missed a really crucial portion of their conversation. And it really got me to be with people. For the first time, I was really with them. I saw them. They were heard at a new level. I feel too at a funny level. They saw it as free therapy. I can just dump on Gina. She can listen, listen, listen and be with me and not say much. So it was it was an interesting time. It was a hard time. It was at times lonely, but it also was I would if I had it all over to do all over again, I would because it made me better at listening and connecting with people and with myself. Yeah, that's really, um, really interesting because I think, you know, I wouldn't, that's the humanity in us, isn't it? We've always, every human being looks at the world through the lens of me because that's the way we're wired. And so often I think, you know, I, I can resonate with that in terms of having a mind like a butterfly and having these ideas sparked, but then completely missing out on that person's part you know what they're saying so wow that's really interesting okay cool um okay so you you talked briefly about the post that you took up as an outreach and communications coordinator and the thing that I was really interested in here was about how you use storytelling to build community I wondered if you could share a bit more about that how you did that and what the results were Yeah. So I live here in rural Iowa. It's very small in our county. We have about a population of 15,000 people. So the closest town to me is four miles away and has about 150 people. So it's very small. And what we've learned over time is that to get people embraced and connected in community, they need to know what's available. And storytelling is this beautiful persuasive tool that transports our heads to our hearts where people love hearing about the artist who leaves their hometown in rural Iowa, goes off and learns their craft and chooses to come back. They love hearing the story of a a woman who decides to get a herd of sheep and create milk and sheep products and sell them in a way to build business and connect with the land. So what we found in that experience is my passion for the theater and for story was how can we get artists and other artisans in the area to start talking about who they are, their experience with the community so that we can connect together. And it was a really powerful overall uh, year and a half that I worked at this rural development. The first piece that we did was what was called Ag Arts Camps. And so I connected with local artists and what we did is went to farmers and said, hey, would you host an Ag Arts Camp for families? And they said, sure. So we did about seven of those one summer where we connected with the food in the land. And so for example, here at Maple Ledge Farm, some the Ronald McDonald House was able to craft pots from soil from our farm and then eat local food. So it was all this interconnection. We used storytelling, we used theater, And that was one, I would say, experience that was memorable, that drew people together. Another was we did community and team storytelling workshops and performances. And I brought in a local, uh, I brought in local adults to work and tell their stories, as well as a performer and professional storyteller who is a mentor of mine out of New York. And what I noticed is just the impact that that made is learning the beats of a story and how it does draw us together and the conversations that happened before getting built up for actual performance and then afterwards. And what we noticed is we even have a Southwest Iowa art tour. We didn't know as a community just how many artists existed. And it was truly storytelling that brought it alive and actually revitalized a lot of these rural towns and connected them together. So every fall, the third weekend in September, we draw together about seven to eight communities and do what is called an art tour. And people go self-guided, they meet the artists, they buy their, their art and it and see performances. It's a really beautiful opportunity to draw to draw in and connect others. That sounds brilliant. And I think one thing that really comes through. I mean, you know, you're passionate about a lot of things and, and <laughs> communication is is clearly one of them, but the the love you have for where you live 
and the, the the home that you live in comes through. And I know that you run um, retreats there as well. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so I the space has been in the family for over 150 years and it's called Maple Edge Farm because it, its borders have lots of maple trees. And we have a herd of about 16 goats and they're lovely. They all have names and you can learn a lot from a goat. And in fact, how we show up with animals really tells us a lot about ourselves. What are those inner anxieties or intentions or lack thereof that we tend to show up that way with, and animals reveal that to us. So recently I was able to facilitate uh, communication workshops, not only for a local university, for business students, as well as for human resource trainers and managers. And, and it was so fascinating to see just what was revealed. So, you know, one gentleman said, I've always known I'm introverted, but this really made it much more you know, aware that I need to advocate for myself. You know, others said, hey, I like stepping back and be in the background and wait for them to come to me. And I do that in networking. How can I show up differently or maybe with a, a little bit more confidence? And so I've enjoyed facilitating those kinds of communication workshops where we use improvisation, yes, anding the other situation as it occurs, as well as yes, anding ourselves. I think a lot of us aren't aware of our communication style as well as the who that we are. Brilliant. And that's a great segue into my next question, which is you talk about having this distinctive speaker style. What do you mean by that? And how can you and people themselves discern it, you know, in terms of their own speaker style? Absolutely. Everybody does have a distinctive, authentic speaker style. And just like we have individualized fingerprints, ironically, of my 10 fingers, I have one print that is unprintable. And so that isn't that fascinating, very rare, but we all have just like snowflakes are distinctively unique. We are unique and you sign your name in a certain way, just like you make choices, choices with your words. Some people are a lot more formal with their word choice. Others use slang. And that is part of the style in which you speak. You can tell that in posts on Facebook and LinkedIn, word choice matters. And so whether it's in text like that on a website or how we orally speak with one another, that is one way to assess. Are you more formal with your word choice, more informal or somewhere in between? Another is in terms of our vocal delivery. How do you use your voice? Are you really projecting and loud and high energy and talk fast with a faster pace? Or are you softer, quieter, calmer and more deliberative with in which you pause and making those choices are distinctive to you. Same with physical delivery, how we use our bodies. I always like to say, think of it on a spectrum of one to 10 can be woo, Disney <laughs> and five being somewhere in between and, and one being just a little bit, you know, less movement and just poised posture, but maybe more of a, a Margaret Thatcher type. Uh, so think of the difference between Brene Brown and our past president here in the United States, Barack Obama. You know, Brene Brown, Brene Brown has mentioned she's a researcher storyteller and she even cusses sometimes in her TED Talks as well has, has this really fun storytelling conversational style. Contrast that with Barack Obama and his softer voice, slower cadence in which he speaks and a lot more formal, I would say, as far as his word choices and means of communicating. So if you can think in terms of how you show up verbally as well as non-verbally that is unique to you and comfortable for you, then that makes a difference. Even what you wear. I've found for me, I've done an up-leveling not only in my closet, I'm working on my office now, but what I wear comes forth in how I present myself. I know I love my sparkle tennis shoes and high tops and I put on a different flair for my improv workshops. That's different than if I put on my purple pumps and a, a power you know, dress and suit jacket for those executives. So that is what I mean by having that distinct speaker style is assess where do you fall with your voice, your body, your overall essence of yourself. And would you advocate changing that to if 
if they were as changing brand, for instance, or, mm. or, or looking to get a, a promotion or something like that, would you say that they need to stick with that authentic style or try and shift it slightly to fit more with where their aspiration is? I'm curious. In communication research, we love to say it depends, right? <laughs> and you cannot not communicate. I would say if you ask yourself at the core, are you getting the desired outcome? If you are not, then assess and, and think, okay, what am I saying? What am I doing? How am I being? And am I being gotten and responded to in the way that I am wanting to get that promotion, to get that different job, whatever that case may be. For me, for example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went through this huge up-leveling. I had literally five bags, garbage bags full of old clothes I got rid of. I had, a, I had suits from the 90s that didn't even fit well, nor my color, that somehow I just had kept and occasionally wore. And I didn't, I felt okay, but not great. So it was sort of halfway there, not fully on octane there. So ask yourself, are you fully there? And also, when we say be authentic and true, there does come a point, for example, if you are looking to be a high C-suite level in a very formal like banking industry position, and you have a beautiful butterfly tattoo all over your arm, you know, a sleeveless spaghetti or a spaghetti strap tank top and tight leather pants and heels walking into that interview probably would not get you the job. It's that first impression. You still want to own yourself and your style, but it, it's it's meeting them where they are, being helping them be comfortable. So when I worked at the bank, for example, as a chief creative officer, I knew I couldn't walk in with my 10 of Disney style animated facial expressions, big on energy. I had to soften that to about a 7.5. Still me, but it was all about their comfort. So ask yourself, am I getting that desired outcome? Cool. And I think a lot of people, um, and this is interesting because again, it might be a segue into, into the next question. I find that people, as soon when they want to start presenting, they have this idea in their mind of what a presenter should be. And they try and emulate that, mm. losing that authenticity. And I think, I think you're absolutely right in what you said, but I think people also need to be aware, you know, you've, you've got to be you at the heart of it, like you said, and there's no one right way to present. You know, there's some things that you need to be doing and, you know, that, that can make you more impactful as, as a speaker, but actually becoming mm. someone else to speak is not, a great, great thing to do. Would you, would you agree I, with that? I would totally agree with that. I mean, I, I think of the moth as a really mm -hmm. great model yeah. of storytelling yeah. and I love listening to it. And, and it's a beautiful example of so many different storytellers, styles, ways of being, and in, in which they hook the audience with their story and they go through those storytelling beats and end in a poignant way and get some sort of tone and mood to evoke emotion. And I look, I always have clients look to that for models, for insights of, oh, that's how someone started their story. It's, it's really tuning into and aligning with what feels right and true for you. Mm -hmm. And you can look at models, for example, and say, wow, that really is cool that they use this particular cadence. Like Winston Churchill does a great job of repetition and parallel structure, right? Mm -hmm. But so, so using that idea for stylistic choices and achieving that is great, but do it in your own way. Yeah. Because if I were to try to be like Oprah Winfrey or Michelle Obama or whomever, I, in terms of how they pause a certain way or Ellen DeGeneres and Jerry Seinfeld, hilarious, right? I love their comedic style. They have that pause down pack that they're a lot more self-deprecating and also really great at just that stoic piece. Hmm. If I tried too hard, it'd be like, I'm trying too hard. And yeah. so it's, own, it's trying pants on for size, you know, play with it a little bit and see what works and doesn't work for you, but make it your own. Just like we do with cooking, right? If you have a recipe and there's a bazillion ways to have chili, 
add your own spices to it. Say, okay, maybe this isn't spicy enough. I'm going to add just a little bit more chili powder. Yeah, absolutely. Or indeed, <clears throat> talking about clothing, the way that you accessorize something mm-hmm. can completely change the way it is. And, you know, whether it's food or or, or clothes or whatever, making it yours. But, you know, systems and tools are great, but make it your own flavor. Exactly like you said. Brilliant. Okay. Now, I wondered if you, from your experience, perspective and learning and everything else, could give me three speaking mistakes that you uh, see people making that they should avoid. Absolutely. So I would say there's three Ps of mistakes of speaking. The first is the fail to prepare Mm-hmm. That's one thing you have in your control, particularly if you're performing a keynote signature talk for a big conference or a TED talk. It does require preparation. Nancy Duarte, who is renowned for doing work in this field of communication, she says, you know, it takes 30 hours for one hour in which you speak for, for preparation. And that doesn't include the actual practice time and putting together visual aids. It's, it's really taking the speaking engagement seriously. Mm. And I found that, uh, you know, the worst presenters are the ones that do not prepare enough. They think they've got it. You know, I've worked in academic world and experts of a content area does not equate doing a great job presenting that information. So the first piece is really preparing preparing for the target audience, preparing for the given speaking experience, preparing, preparing, preparing. That's in your control. So that would be the first mistake is failing to prepare and wanting that, you know, the context leads to how you should communicate. And so context leads to content. The second uh, mistake I would say is failing to practice. And this comes into play with I recommend practicing with the actual outfit you're going to wear, especially if it's a keynote or a TED talk. And I know you as well, Sarah, you have a background in theater and comedy and all of that. And we, we as actors and theater people, we know dress rehearsals are huge. They are so helpful. And if you are putting on brand new shoes for the first time and you're, you're plunking around in those heels or they're too tight, you're going to show that in, on your face and in your body. Uh, so practice in that outfit, practice the words out loud, practice in a variety of ways, even conversationally. I found you know, taking little parts and pieces of the body of my presentation and with my spouse saying at the dinner table, hey, could you mind if we talk about blah, blah, blah. And guess what? It really trains that brain, that muscle to take in that content, that messaging. So it's part of your body and you're really feeling the speech. Even going for walks with your dog and saying it out loud, even recording it, hearing yourself, where are those clunky words and Mm -hmm. phrases, and even just going on your drive and hearing it and saying it with yourself. There's a wide range of ways that you can practice, and it's essential to. But you also don't want to over-practice so much that it become you become numb to it and desensitized to the power of those words. So I always say that there's that stopping point as well. You got to trust yourself at the point where, you know, that that day of don't cram for a test the day of trust yourself and move forward. So poise is a verb, do the work. Uh, The last of these is failing to pause and breath is life. And I would say allow spaciousness before you're talking and communicating, networking, whatever communicative event it is, but also within the communication, when you're orally communicating, pause, especially the power there is when you say something powerful, you give space to let people really chew on that, marinate on that, but also pause when you're communicating one-on-one with someone else to allow them to feel like you're with them and you're fully present with them, as opposed to trying to be super interesting, be interested. So those would be my mistakes is failing to prepare, failing to practice and failing to pause. Yeah, some great ones in there. I think that um, it's really interesting from a from an acting perspective. I've, something I've talked about on the show before in relation to the practice is, is you almost get to the point where you become bored with your material. Uh, but it's at that point and, and when it becomes natural that you can really start to you know, as an actor, you've become the character, you know, 
start being playful with it, experimenting with it. Um, so getting that real familiarity with it, it will allow you to become more expressive. So really good point there. And then I think also the other point, the pause is so powerful. You're absolutely right. And I think the other thing, the other aspect of the pause, which I find people don't often consider is that when you ask your audience to imagine or to think about a time, they need space to access the memory, to imagine that thing. And if you go firing off like onto the next bit, <laughs> you've, you, you're missing that chance, to, you know, and the space to give them the opportunity to, to, to do that. So, and you're wait, you know, wasting the point that you were making. So really good tips there. Thank you. Um, well, and just to that point, Sarah, I wanted to bring up, it, it's like being the teacher that I am. I remember going through training and think time. I remember my cooperating teacher, when I asked a question, I started answering it for my students. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You need to give them at least five to 10 seconds to hear it, chew on it and, and be able to comprehend it and then be able to share a response. And five seconds feels like a really, really long time. <laughs> and so the more seasons you get with it, the more your audience also appreciates that as well, because it does add texture to your talk. Yeah. And I think the other thing when just, just, you know, you've made me think about this now as well, is that the other point to this is that when you take the stage, you know, especially this is something that comes across in comedy is the compare will hand the mic to you and give you the stage. And when you have that confidence to give the space, to hold the silence, it gives your audience confidence in you as a speaker because you are owning the stage. I think mm -hmm. that pause, you can't really overstate the power of that in terms of, you know, all the different dimensions that it gives you to be impactful. So really cool. Okay. Now something that you are, um, you talk about a lot, I think you're going to become even more synonymous uh, with is, this concept of becoming a, mag a magnetic communicator, magnetic speaker. What's your definition of that? What do you mean by that? To me, magnetic speaking, magnetic communication involves a process. It's a choice. It's a commitment. It takes time and it actually takes work. So to me, being magnetic, it's all about attracting others to the message with your voice, your body, your energy, and overall essence. It's also relating to first that connection with self and then and listening within the self, but then really listening to the other. So if you don't take that time and be intentional with where you are and transitioning and do that segment intention, like intuitive Abraham Hicks talks about, which is okay, I just had this connect call with a prospecting client. Now I'm going to meet my current client. You need that window of spaciousness to set the intention to connect with them. To me, magnetism isn't just being loud Tony Robbins type, although he is very magnetic in his own way. Loud voice, big persona, big gestures, fast cadence in which he speaks. That's one style of magnetism. I also feel as if Elizabeth Gilbert, who is very vulnerable and honest with rather being a writer than speaker, you still want to be drawn into what she has to say. And so it's, it's embracing the who that you are. So it's understanding the self first, bringing that out, and then seeing the other for who they are. You know, it's like social psychologist David Kiersey says, people just want to be seen, heard, and understood. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a certain DNA predisposition that we are who we are. About 40 to 60% is just predetermined. You know, a fox has to invade a chicken coop. Dolphins swim in schools. An owl hunts at night. And a beaver builds dams. You would never see a beaver here on our farm going and invading our chicken coop. That would just be bizarre. Or a fox trying to build a dam. It just isn't. A, it, it isn't. So we all have preferences in which we communicate, lead, and work. And we we need to come with that understanding that so do others. So it's not sell, tell, and yelling what we have to say on on any platform, whether it's virtual or in person, but it's showing up with intentionality and being committed to connecting with the other and not getting in our head about it and being all about the thoughts of what I'm going to say next, but fully trusting the self, trusting the other and being in that dance of conversation. 
Absolutely. I think that's really true. That 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 last point, particularly about letting go and being present with your audience, because when you speak, like it's the same as when you know you've experienced yourself, even like even in the back in the Disney parade, you know, the parade doesn't have the same, it's not the same experience without the audience, you know. And right. it's, it, would, it's, it would be, it's sort of like if you're if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there yeah. to hear it, does it ever actually happen? If you give a speech and no one's listening, did it really happen? Because it is about having the audience. Yeah. and connect with them with those ideas for sure yeah and that energy exchange between you is it is it like it is i say it's kind of like a dance between you and the audience that's brilliant a great a great definition there so what are three tips that you can give people to move closer towards becoming that magnetic speaker and it may connect to the the mistake stuff but, but maybe there's other stuff as well Right. I would say just like in my book, Discovering Our Magnetic Speaker Within, I highlight it's all about the mind, the message and your mechanics. And so I'm going to highlight three tips, one for each of those. So Mm -hmm. first with the mind, as all of us are communicators, we are storytellers, we are natural born orators of our lives, just like strategist John Capecci has said. And so it's being aware of the who that you are, the I aming. So if you show up to a communication and you, I am all over yourself that I am stupid. This person is smarter than I am. I'm not ready. I'm I'm this, that, and the other. And it's super negative. Guess what? That's what your voice, your body, your energy is going to display. So it's first really showing up and being aware of the who that you are. So if you're quirky, be quirky. If you are more of a calm, softer, deliberative style, be that. You know, I think if we can be unapologetically the self that we are and embrace that and own that and do that for others, it's a very powerful thing. So it's, first of all, what you think and what you say is who you are. So that's the first piece is own the magnetic mind. And the magnetic mind says, I am, in my case, I say, I am a passionate, connected and confident communicator. And when you say that out loud, maybe as an affirmation, each morning, just say it and look at yourself in the mirror with love and own that self-love. Secondly, with the magnetic message, be audience-centered. And I know you talk a lot about this, Sarah. That's what drew me to your amazing podcast is that it's all about them. So as a tip to have a stronger, more engaging message, Tune in to all those different learning styles. This is my educator coming out. We have objectives. We have desired outcomes. And everyone loves a good story. Everyone loves humor, but do it in your own way. So think of the visual communicators. So when we present online or in person, there's different ways to really draw those in visually, not just with a PowerPoint, although those are helpful for visual pictures and maybe a video clip or some text so that they can remember and have the ideas resonate. But props are really powerful too, mm-hmm. particularly when you are online. I found when I say the word magnetic, I hold up a big magnet and click something to it. That is helpful. Or behind me, I have a dry erase board and maybe draw something on it so that you're really shifting their perspective and breaking the pattern. Because guess what? We've all watched those webinars where it's click, 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 monotone, monotone, monotone. Don't do that. (laughs) And secondly, there's the audible listeners. They love, they love the stories. Paint your, your, your presentations with a good story or your own or someone else's to illustrate a point. You could also use beautiful alliteration, metaphors, similes. Those tap into that kind of uh, a learner. There's also the kinesthetic learner. They are the ones that love movement. And so if you can say by a show of hands or turn to your partner and say, you know, those kinds of peppering that in, especially around point two, because to me, that's the middle child syndrome. They, at point two, people start to get restless and a little tired. So if you can get them engaged with a survey or a thing that they're doing or have them stand and then slowly sit down to show a statistic and have them look around, guess what? they're going to remember that. It will make much more of an impact than if you just say one out of 10 people uh, have a family member who smokes, you know, that just as an example. The other is have them, even the written and reflective learners, maybe write something down. When I say this, what, what comes to mind? I want you to take 10 seconds or write four words that come to mind or three words. 
that really, I think, gives you more of a playful, creative style. The key is tune into the fact that you have your preference. My preference is audible. I love great stories, alliteration, analogies. Visual, though I enjoy it, is not my strength. I've had to stretch myself. So if you can balance the different styles, you're going to hit all the learners. That would be my tip for the message in addition to the mind. Mm -hmm. Finally, it's have a magnetic style of mechanics. And when I say mechanics, it's how you use your voice, your body to have the overall presence you desire. And presence is a noun, it's a state of being. I love reading what Dr. Edith Edler has talked about. And I mentioned her in my book, she was a survivor of the Holocaust. And a lot of her work is about forgiveness and perfectionism. And let me tell you, I am a recovering perfectionist and control freak. And let me, that can definitely affect your communication style. If you have to get it right. And I remember you telling me uh, in, in our conversation for the book, Sarah, that you were very much about the manuscript. You know, when you first were getting into comedy, because you were funny, you're funny, witty, all that. And you wanted to get those sentences right. And I can totally empathize with that because I crafted something beautiful. And I did the same thing in a storytelling event where I memorized the story, knowing for full well that these amazing women that were going to be in the audience, my favorite fifth grade teacher, who's now 90, was going to be there. My 4-H leader, my mom. So I'm like, I have to get it right. But if we let go and just trust the self, do the practice and align that with our voice and our body. So if the words are saying excitement, show that in your voice and body, you know, and vary it. And so when, when Dr. Endler talks about perfectionism, it is a belief system and we can break that. We can break that pattern of thinking and what it takes is forgiveness and self-compassion. That was something that was really revealed to me in a conversation with the keynote speaker, Dima Gawai, whom she, when she let go of perfectionism, shattered that as well as forgave herself and her father, she showed up way more confidently for the future keynote speeches that she presented. So it's really a freedom comes when you let go of perfectionism and your body and your voice will follow. So those are my tips is really tap into your magnetic mind. And once you get there with your thoughts and your belief systems, then you craft and practice a strong engaging message to tap into the different learning styles. And finally, align with your own authentic style, the mechanics of your voice and body. Perfect. That's great. And you mentioned the book. Tell me, uh, when is the book coming out and uh, where will they be able to get it? And what are you hoping that people will take away from it? Well, the book's title is Discovering Our Magnetic Speaker Within, and it's due to be published this fall of 2023. So probably late September, October-ish, and super excited. That's with all these edits that are going through. I'm in my eight-week sprint of revisions editing. And so I know you've done writing as well. You know what that's all about. It's the line-by-line work. And super excited that you, Sarah, are in it. And I felt like you added value for the way you talked about shifting that talk from awkward to awesome. And that's what drew me to your strategic mindset of what does it really mean to be magnetic? And so they can find this book on my website, tinabakehouse.com, and I'll be posting that. If they'd love to, to learn more communication tips and tools and updates on the book, they can sign up for my newsletter right there at tinabakehouse.com. What I want them to get from this book, well, first of all, the cool thing about the title, and I don't know about you, but titles are so hard, whether it's for an article or a book, it's so crucial to hook people. It's like that first line of a story or first line of a speech, but it's for the whole thing. And I initially had the title as discovering your magnetic speaker within. The power is in the preposition because I realized if you're magnetic, it's a we thing, it's not an I thing. So I shifted from the your to our, and that to me is makes all the difference in magnetism. And so I use stories and strategies as well as exercises and reflection questions to really get those heart-centered leaders to be able to communicate with more efficiency, effectiveness to be magnetic on any stage. So it's not just for those people that see themselves on a big, big stage with their signature talk or a TED stage, but it's also for the high level uh, heart-centered leaders, nonprofit executive directors that 
have an abstract idea and aren't sure how to communicate it with concrete clarity and engagement. Or it's for that small business owner who walks into a networking situation, which I did my very first time as my own business owner, with nervousness, with expectation, and how do we do that? And so I want this book to be a resource to support people on that journey and to be in their purses or backpacks or on their person or at their desk that they flip back through and go, oh yeah, that's a cool idea. Because I've interviewed people like yourself, a wide range of, you have a beautiful background in comedy and you do the coaching and consulting and from the marketing standpoint and speaking standpoint. I have a humor engineer, I have improvisers, storytellers, psychologists, as well as uh, people who've worked with Mihai, Czech Centimihai, and Flow. And so we're giving different aspects of all things communication, psychology from different angles to help you help yourself, but help the other so that at the end of the day, we can all be seen, heard, and comprehend so that we can make forward progress to for that impact that we desire. Brilliant. Cool. And I'll put the link to websites, et cetera, in, in the show notes. Now, thank you very much for sharing all of that stuff. Um, as ever, I have some standard questions to ask you. Um, the first of which is what has speaking done for you? Mm. It's a very vulnerable act. And for me, it's like taking a shower in front of people. You're, you're, when you do it and you get into that flow of just lost in connection with the other, it's a powerful experience. I think for me, it's when an audience member comes and says, me too. I've had that experience. Thank you for sharing. You know, I, I, I was able to present the story of losing a child, having a stillborn on a stage in New York and it was a very therapeutic experience to craft that story, practice it with my spouse whom, you know, things were revealed. That was a seven, you know, a few years ago, seven years ago. And um, I didn't realize certain pain he was going through. So it connected us at a deeper level, but also connected me with an audience at a deeper level. A woman shared afterwards that that happened to her as well. And that my feelings were what she felt. So I think that there's real power when you're willing to, to be vulnerable. It's not easy, but, and especially I found working for myself, I have to be visible more and that's revealed a lot about myself. Surprisingly for the big personality that I am, I really am more introverted. I really enjoy downtime, reflection time, and I love supporting my clients and them getting out there. But speaking for me has put me out there in a way that it's like, oh, this can support and guide people on their journey. And that's, there's real joy in that. Right. Cool. Thank you for sharing. I can relate to, to some of that as well. Absolutely. Um, second question then is, has there been a, a speaking gig or something that you're like, oh my goodness, I, I wish I could forget about that. Um, <laughs> did it, has it happened to you? And if it did, um, yeah, what did you learn from it? Yes, I have. Uh, I, I mentioned it earlier in our conversation where could have, would have, should have, but what a great learning experience. I had one in 2017 where I was co-facilitating multiple great creative projects with this professional storyteller out of New York. And I had memorized my story and it was a fun story. And I just remember standing with that spotlight, sharing it in a performative manner, but it really wasn't in my heart. And then what was wild is the worst possible thing happened. And that is a woman's cell phone went off and it was so loud and it, it felt like minutes, but it really was seconds. And she finally could not, she couldn't find it, but then she excused herself, went to the bathroom. The ringing was so loud. I had no idea where it was in the story. And I'm staring at the audience, freaking out in this moment and going, oh, crap. But fortunately, with my background in improvisation and theater, I just took a beat and said, relax. Your body and your brain sort of know where they were on autopilot. Get back to that. You can do this. And after about a good solid 30 plus seconds, I got back into the story and completed it. And it was fine. I didn't like that it was fine. 
that bothered me. I know what I did wrong. It's where I really empathized with that experience you had mentioned, and that is I memorized it. I wanted it to be right, whatever that even means. But fast forward four days later, I really I was asked to, to present that story in front of a teen audience because one of the teens backed out at the last minute for the show, and all the things we had done, collaborated with, were done. So I was less pressured, less stressed. I just showed up in my cool jumper with my high tops and shared the story, got tons of laughs. It felt beautiful. I was in my truck on Excel instead of lingering to that conditioned belief of perfectionism. So yeah, I learned don't cling to the script. Practice, of course, but trust yourself and just show up and share. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100% agree with you there, uh, Tina. Okay, right. Next question. What's the book that's had most impact on your life and why? I knew you were going to ask this. <laughs> and I want to cheat and say, it's this one for this, that one for this, da, 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 da. Oh, goodness. I, I have a bookshelf here behind me, so many that I, I visit and visit and visit. Uh, I'm going to have to say, Please Understand Me Too by David Piercy. Uh, you know, there's Deep and Simple by Bo Lozog. There's Presence by Amy Cuddy. I mean, I love all those different ones, but why I chose Please Understand Me Too, and it was written in the 90s by social psychologist David Kiersey, is in 2011, my graduate professor mentor said, Tina, you might be interested in, in this tool. And I've, I've done Emergenetics, Predictive Index, Myers-Briggs, Clifton Strengths. You've probably done those as well. Colors, DISC, there's so many. All we want is to understand ourselves and potentially comprehend other people. This one really was like a light bulb effect because for the first time, I'm like, oh, that's why I set into that. Because at the core, I really love to be seen as the authentic who that I am. And I do that for other people, but not everybody does. They have different core values and we're driven by a core value. That's why we lead a certain way. We have that preference or communicate a certain way. We have those preferences. Are we more random or sequential, direct or indirect? Are we a lot more, uh, you know, in terms of cooperative or utilitarian? That makes a difference in terms of communication, concrete, abstract. So that changed my life in terms of how I could meet my clients where they are and support their strengths, see them match talent to task. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, I've done all of that stuff as well. I don't know. Have you come across human design yet, Tina? Oh, yes. <laughs> That's another good one. That's yummy. I'm an emotional projector. Oh, I'm a projector. That's right. Ah, we bond, yes. Before, but yeah, I, that, uh, it's interesting. I wonder how many people that work in the space we do are <laughs> projecting. We have to take care of ourselves, Sarah. I don't know about you, but it, that's one big thing I've learned as a projector is the value in self-care. We can't show up for our clients and our audiences if we don't have that huge chunk of time to just relax and be by ourselves and away. So I don't know if, if that's something you're constantly working on as well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting. So one one of the, I, I actually work with a, an energetic coach now and I'm going to be bringing her on the show because it's, it's fascinating, the stuff that I've been learning over the last couple of years. But yeah, just even from putting up boundaries energetically to work with clients is not to say mm -hmm. to disconnect with them, but you can't, you, you tend to take on people's stuff. But as a projector yes. as well, too, really interesting things that I learned about myself was that uh there's a key thing and you you might have you probably already know this is about wait to be invited yes because we can be overwhelming and intense and everything else and it showed up in my life in the past which someone said to me Sarah you sold it then you bought it back again you know which is that whole like just yes. you know so but also the self-care bit yeah so I like you people might see me as an extrovert but I absolutely need time to be quiet and alone mm. and there's a lot of introvert as well in there so it's it's really interesting stuff but yeah if you haven't uh if you haven't found human design yet in in your listening we'll put a link to that as well brilliant okay now what's the the next question is what's the best bit of business advice you've had and why well I would say from working for myself, 
is really time blocking and asking for help. So technically two things, right? I I am a random high energy, you know, I have high energy, but then I have that Vata dosha energy where I get depleted pretty fast as far as that extreme goes. And time blocking helps me be a lot more efficient. So that's strategic and putting in breaks, not only day to day for lunch, getting outside, because I will show up better for writing for my clients, for everything, my family and personal life, but also asking for help. I realize I love, I, I just do things myself and it becomes overwhelming. So if you, you kind of tune into your zone of genius and I'm a big visionary person, the details like technology. I love that. I have a tech person for my website. She's amazing. I love that. I have someone assisting me with marketing, uh, those details I struggle with. I love the big ideas. And so it, that would be my big thing is time blocking and, and ask for help. Cool. No, I'm with you. Again, resonate with the second one particularly, but uh, interesting. Okay, last question then. Um, if you could choose a mentor and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? A mentor? Well, I would find Mihai Chek sent Mihai the positive psychologist as a fascinating individual because I was lucky enough to meet him before he passed. Um, and first of all, he has a very calm aura, but think of the possibility of experiencing flow in your life every single day. Mm. You know, we get into the busy of the doing, 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 and we fail. We're human beings. You know, I, to me, inner peace and being in my being is that creative manifestation of that focused, deep work. And so I find to have, to follow him in a way that is right and true. I mean, he was fascinated by Carl Jung years ago, the psychologist, when he spoke, and that's what drew him to figure out the theory of flow, which is having a specific goal in mind and clear feedback. And with the right amount of challenge, you know, you've seen speakers when they get there, athletes, when they get their musicians, where they just lose themselves in the creation. And my father-in-law does that with his woodworking here on the farm. And so that would be the individual because think about the, the possibility of what the days would look like, feel like, and sound like, and we'd be a lot more intentional with how we spend our time. Mm, that's a good one. I don't think we've had him before. But um, you're, you're absolutely right. Well, listen, thank you so much for sharing all of those great tips and ideas with us. Uh, is there anything that you feel that you need to add in order to call this interview complete? I feel, I feel everyone has the ability to be magnetic. It's, it's a choice, it's a commitment. And just it's being in your being and trusting yourself. Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, good luck with the book. Thank you so much. You take care. You as well, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. It's always fun to geek out with other speaking coaches. And uh, I hope you got some new ideas and inspiration from us there to help improve your speaking. If anything Tina said resonated with you, then do connect with her on LinkedIn and obviously go and check out her website and grab a copy of Discovering Our Magnetic Speaker Within when it comes out. Now, another way that you can guarantee that your talk will magnetize your audience is by coming along to my masterclass. It's a two hour interactive workshop and I'll be taking you through my heart map blueprint that has got amazing results for people. You can read what others have said and grab your spot at saraharcher.co.uk slash masterclass. Thanks again for choosing to listen to The Speaking Club and I'd love it if you could take a couple of minutes if you're a regular listener and do subscribe if you haven't yet done so. Um, but if you could take a couple of minutes to leave an honest rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC or wherever you're listening. I will catch you next time. But until then, don't you forget to go out, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. One of the things that I teach you on my masterclass has been a game changer for lots of people. The trouble is, 
that we're often too close to our thing to present it in the way our audience needs to see it and hear it to get the results that we want. That's where this powerful live interactive masterclass comes in. I'm going to be taking you through my proven six-step heart map blueprint for creating powerful authentic talks and content using stories that connect with your audience and get them into action. Here's some feedback from previous attendees. Definitely a value-packed two hours for anyone wanting to engage with their audience. Well worth signing up for Sarah's Masterclass if you want to make your content connect with your audience. Recommend it massively. Best two hours I've spent all year. I know your time is precious. That's why I guarantee that if you don't leave this Masterclass knowing exactly what you need to include in your next talk to get more engagement and sales, then I require you to ask for your money back. Grab your space to work with me on your talk at the next Masterclass over at saraharcher.co.uk slash masterclass.